Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 13. Today we'll be reading book 4, chapters 11 through 14 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. If you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Uh, before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So we're going to continue with some of the themes from the last section or from the last episode. And again, we like to forewarn you because forewarned is forearmed, uh, that there's a little bit here that's like kind of more philosophical than what we have seen to this point. So there's going to be some passages about time and the fleeting nature of created realities. And St. Augustine's going to make some cool comparisons between things that happen in time and in eternity or between parts and wholes. So I would say kind of let those things wash over you. Don't worry too much about the details, kind of just get a feel for it impressionistically. All right, let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 11. Be not foolish, O my soul, nor become deaf in the ear of your heart through the tumult of your folly. Hearken, too. The Word himself calls you to return, and there is your undisturbed place of rest, where love is not forsaken if it does not forsake its love. Behold, these things pass away so that others might replace them, so that this lowly universe may exist in all its parts. But do I depart anywhere? asks the Word of God. Make that your dwelling place, and entrust to him all that you have, O my soul, at least now that you are exhausted with vanities. Entrust to the truth whatever you have from the truth. Thus, you shall lose nothing, and your decay shall blossom anew. All your diseases will be healed. See Psalm 103.3. And that which is mortal in you will be refashioned, renewed, and bound around you. Nor shall they deposit you in the places where they descend, but rather they shall stand fast with you and abide forever before God, who abides and stands fast forever. See 1 Peter 1.23. Why then allow yourself to be perverted and follow your flesh? Let it turn around and follow you. Whatever you sense through her is but a part, and you do not know the whole that is made up of these parts. Nonetheless, they delight you. But if your flesh's sense powers had a capacity for grasping the whole, and had not itself also, for your punishment, been justly restricted to a part of the whole, you would will that whatever happens to exist at this present moment should pass away, so that the whole might better please you. For it is by the same bodily senses that you hear what we say, And you would not wish to have individual syllables linger, but rather would desire that they fly away so that others might follow, enabling you to hear the whole. So too, whenever anything is made up of many parts that do not exist together, all of them together would please more than they do apart if all could be perceived together. 
However, far better than these is he who made all things, and he is our God, who does not pass away, for nothing follows after him. 12. If bodies happen to please you, praise God when this is so, and turn back your love to their maker, lest these things that are pleasing to you lead you to displease him. If souls please you, love them in God, for they too are mutable, though they are firmly established in him, for otherwise they would run their course and pass away. Let them be loved in him and carry to him, along with yourself, whatever souls that you can, saying to them, Let us love him. He made these things and is not far off, for he did not fashion them and thus depart. No, they are from him and in him. See, he is found where truth is loved. He is within the heart itself, though the heart has strayed from him. Enter back into your heart, O sinners, and cling to him who fashioned you. Stand with him, and you shall be secure. Rest in him, and you shall find rest. Where are you wandering upon rough ways? Where? The good that you love comes from him, but it is good and pleasant in relation to him. And if not, it will rightly become bitter. For anything that comes from him is loved unjustly if he is forsaken for its sake. To what end, therefore, do you continue walking upon these difficult and toilsome paths? There is no rest to be found where you seek it. Seek what you seek, but it is not to be found where you look for it. You seek a blessed life in the land of death, and it is not to be found there. For how could a blessed life be found where life itself is not to be found? But our true life came down here below. He bore our death and slew it through the great abundance of his own life. And he thundered his voice, calling us to return to him to that secret place from whence he came to us, first into the virgin's womb, where he espoused human creation, our mortal flesh, so that it might not be forever mortal, and from there coming forth like a bridegroom from his chamber and rejoiced like a giant running his course. See Psalm 19.5. For he did not linger, but rather ran, calling aloud by words, deeds, death, life, descent, and ascension, crying aloud to us, calling us to return to him. And he departed from our sight so that we might return into our hearts and find him there. For he departed, and behold, he is still present here. He was with us for a short while, though he has not left us behind. For he departed in order to return to the place he never had left behind, for the world was made by him. See John 1.10. And he was in the world, see John 1.10, to which he came in order to save sinners, see 1 Timothy 1.15. My soul confesses unto him, and he heals it, for it has sinned against him, see Psalm 41.4. O you sons of men, how long will you be dull of heart, see Psalm 4.2. Even now, after life has descended to you, will you not ascend and live? But where do you ascend when you set yourself on high and set your tongues against the heavens, see Psalm 73.9. Descend, so that you may ascend and ascend to God, for you have fallen by ascending against him. Say such things to them so that they may weep in this valley of tears. See Psalm 84, 6. Thus you will carry them up with you to God, for you say these things to them through his spirit, if you speak a flame with a fire of charity. 13. But I was not then aware of all these things, and I loved lower beauties. Sinking to the very depths, I said to my friends, Do we love anything but the beautiful? What then is the beautiful, and what is beauty? What is it that attracts and unites us to the things that we love? For, if they did not contain some grace and beauty, they could by no means draw us to them. And I noted and perceived that bodies contained a beauty by forming a kind of whole, and again, another kind of beauty through apt and mutual correspondence among the parts, as is seen in the parts of a body in relation to the whole of it, or a shoe in relation to a foot, and so forth. 
and this consideration sprang into my mind from the depths of my heart, and I wrote, I believe, a text that was two or three books long, entitled, On the Beautiful and the Fitting. You know the details, O Lord, though I do not recall them, for we no longer have the work, for reasons that I cannot even now recall. 14. But what moved me, O Lord my God, to dedicate these books to Hyrius, a Roman orator whom I never met in person, though I loved him for the fame of his learning, which was supposedly great, and for some of his words which had pleased me when I heard them. But he pleased me even more because he pleased others, who highly extolled him, amazed that a Syrian first instructed in Greek eloquence should then be formed as a marvelous Latin orator, knowledgeable in all things pertaining to philosophy. Thus a man is commended and loved, although he is not seen. Does such love enter the hearer's heart from the lips of the person who thus commends? No. But by one who loves, another love is kindled. In this way, someone is commended and then loved, namely, when the person who commends him is believed to do so with a sincere heart, that is, when the lover praises him. For such was my way at that time, loving men based on other men's judgment, not yours, O my God, in which no man is deceived. But how did this differ from vulgar popularity that is expressed far and wide based on qualities like those of a famous charioteer or a gladiator fighting beasts in an amphitheater? In what way was it different, earnest, and indeed the sort of praise I myself would have liked to have received? For I did not wish to be commended or loved as actors were, though I myself did commend and love them, but would rather be unknown than to be known as they are, indeed hated rather than to be loved as they are. Where, then, are the impulses to all these various and different loves placed within one soul? Why, since we are all equally human, do I love in someone else something that I would not spurn and cast away from myself if I did not, in fact, hate it in myself? A man can love a good horse without himself wishing to be that horse, but this does not hold true for our love of an actor, who, by contrast, shares our nature. Do I then love in a given man what I, who am a man, would hate to be? What depths there are in man's soul, he whose very hairs are so numbered by you that you know even when they fall to the ground. See Matthew 10, 29-30. And yet, the hairs on his head are more easily numbered than are his feelings and the stirrings of his heart. But that orator was the kind that I loved as being what I myself wished to be, and I erred through swelling pride, allowing myself to be tossed about by every wind. See Ephesians 4:14. But you were there, very secretly steering me along. Now, how do I know and feel confident to confess to you that I loved him more because of the love of those who commended him than for the very things for which he was commended? For had he not been praised, but rather spoken of in the same words, but with disparagement, scorn, and contempt, I would never have been so kindled and excited to love him. And yet neither the realities nor he himself would have differed in any way. Only the feelings of others would have changed. See where the infirm soul finds itself lying ill, not yet clinging to the truth and there finding solid footing. Just as men's tongues blow forth winds from the breasts of the opinionated, so too is the soul carried this way and that, driven back and forth, with the clouds covering the light and the truth remaining unseen. And behold, it is here before us. It was so important to me that my discourse and labor should be known by that man. And if he had approved of them, I would have been all the more inflamed, Though, if he did not, my empty heart, devoid of your solidity, would have been wounded. And yet, with pleasure did my soul meditate upon the beautiful and the fitting, which I wrote about for him, surveying my own work with admiration, though nobody else joined me in this.
Okay, so as we made mention at the top of the episode, uh, St. Augustine is going to give some descriptions here of time, how it kind of comes to be and passes away, and they'll talk about different moments, even different syllables of words. And here he's he's kind of leading into a meditation about the solidity and the eternity of God, who is the source and end of all things. And we, by comparison to God, are, are passing, ephemeral even. But we can share in something of God's solidity. So we talked in a previous episode about God and his solidity. And I think part of Augustine's point here is that we need to be willing to pass through time in order to arrive at the timelessness of God, or we need to be willing to pass through the shifting sands of our present experience in order to arrive upon the solid rock of God's. So, yep, Father Jacob Bertrand, just thinking about our own experience here, this side of eternity and its difficulties, got some thoughts about time and its its trials. (laughs) Yeah, I have some thoughts. I think reading as you kind of forewarned to be, what did you say, to be forearmed, that this is this part of the confessions is is kind of a preview of what's to come towards the end of the confessions. So I think it's a it's a good practice of of reading Augustine, of taking of soaking in what we can and then kind of distilling it a bit, but also not being wholly consumed with trying to you know, understand every single nuance the first time we're reading through a work, which is which is just fine. And at least with respect to time, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we go th- we live our lives right passing through time, mostly not thinking about it. Time just goes, and we just kind of go along. But then there are moments in our lives where either we're looking back at our lives, or we're often I, I this kind of conversation about time for me versus time for God, not like time to take for me, but how I exist in time and how God exists in time comes up with questions of God's providence and his knowledge of what, how does he know what I'm doing and how does that relate to my freedom and my sort of response? And this is a big theme in Augustine because it has to do with predestination and these questions that that come up in, in the confessions, but also in his writings. But here, I think the the point that that St. Augustine is making and that, that we should take away from these pages of the confessions is that there is a difference between God's existence and our existence, right? We exist in a sort of chronological mode. Time ticks, time goes by. We exist kind of stepwise where for God, it doesn't. Um, But as men and women created to know and participate in the life of God, we're also in, in some way called to participate in the timelessness of God. So yeah, you can see why I think even just reading how St. Augustine is pondering what does this mean for God and himself and what does this mean for us and what does this mean for our interaction with God and if we can say God's interaction with us we can see how it can be sort of Augustine's own kind of questioning begins to draw out some of the problem of our understanding and engaging so I think we get that sense even from the page itself of like figuring out what's going on here. Yeah and yeah, just in reading these particular passages, you feel his anguish uh, because his anguish speaks to our own or it resonates with our own. Because I think we've all been tempted, and we made mention of this in an earlier episode, we've all been tempted by a life other than our own, whether that be in general or in particular. So in general, you know, just something other than a human life, because a human life being on the horizon of the spiritual world and the bodily world it's just tough because <laughs> you've got all these spiritual aspirations and you feel yourself drawn down by bodily weights or you've got all of these you know bodily preoccupations and you feel yourself what you feel like the well's been poisoned by your spiritual destiny you're like i wish i could just comport myself like a beast uh but alas you will not be permitted 
to indulge in such. And so, you know, like we've all felt it kind of in a general sense, but also in a particular sense, insofar as we have to progress from here to, to there, or we have to progress from, from now to then, and that takes time. And we're going to get a certain vantage on our present experience after months and years have elapsed. And we might look back at this present moment and judge it like the way that we judge, you know, high school poetry or other embarrassing things that we can barely countenance at this stage in the game. And yet, those are the terms, you know, so we can't take an ironic distance from it. We can't take a kind of scornful, derisory, mocking distance from our own experience because that's all we've been given. It's what we've been entrusted with and God, you know, in placing it in our hands is, you know, excited to see what we're going to make of it. So uh, the, the model that he proposes in these pages here in this particular section is our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, because we see the model for how a human life is to be lived not just the model of, you know, a sage or an athlete or a master of whatever kind of science or craft, but the model of all humanity insofar as he is the cause of our salvation and in taking our human nature to himself, he's actually healing it and saving it. So especially this pattern of humiliation and exaltation, it's fascinating how much humility and pride come up as themes in St. Augustine. I was recently having a conversation with Professor Mary Keyes from Notre Dame University. She just wrote a book about this, and she just had very beautiful things to say. But I don't know, I'm reading these pages. Your thoughts on how we as human beings pass from the, the here and now to the then and there by way of a kind of humiliation that gives unto exaltation. I don't know if you got thoughts along those lines. Yeah, there's when we think about growth as we're talking about the spiritual life and the classics of, of sort of Catholic spirituality, the growth in the spiritual life comes by like trial and error in ways. And that's not to say that we should enter or dabble into sin to try that out and see if it works for us. But by the sort of practice, uh, we talk about this, even just the language, right? By the practice of virtue, by practicing things that are good, we're, we're bound to fail in ways. I mean, that's what practice is, like the stupid phrase. It's not stupid, but maybe for these purposes, it's not the best, but like practice makes perfect. And it doesn't always mean that failure is sin or like life is falling apart, but that like doesn't always work. Life doesn't always go well, but we have to remember, and this is what St. Augustine begins to elicit, is that in those moments of humiliation, in those moments of failure, of falling, of stumbling. It's not whether those be over long periods of time, like they were in St. Augustine's life or shorter, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's not as if those need to be done away with so as to allow Christ to work in our lives. You know, it's it's only our Lord who's able to take those moments of humiliation and bring them to like a state of exaltation, to a state of glory, to use those things to transform us. And we see Augustine throughout the confessions reflecting on this very point that that as as he reflects on his life up to this point until you know he's middle-aged here writing looking back on his life up to that point that he sees the sort of handiwork of God at work even in those moments that kind of embarrass fail whatever i think we do this in hindsight better than we do kind of moment to moment but we shouldn't think that we have to perfect ourselves in order for God to love us is i think a point that i'm trying to make yeah. And I think that's a good insight, too, for our own moral self-evaluation. When we're trying to take our own spiritual temperature, we reference this phenomenon with some frequency. We risk falsifying it by looking too closely at it. So if we try to take our own spiritual temperature in the moment, uh, it just doesn't correspond to human life because you know human life just, just doesn't take place in moments. Human life takes place over the course of time, over the passage of time. And so if we want to get a sense for, for how we're doing, we might take a large swath 
of our time and then compare the beginning to the end. And it's it's hard to get perspective on that because we're very forgetful of the past. And even when we do retain it, we tend to shift it or we tend to tinker with it a little bit. But every once in a while, you'll have an experience which, you know, like remind you of something that you thought previously or something that you felt previously. And you'll you'll have the opportunity to compare that with your present experience. And that's um that's often very bracing. And, and sometimes it can be very encouraging. You're like, whoa, I was like sad and anxious and lonely then. And now I'm just a little bit less sad, anxious and lonely. So I think that that's, that's also good too for our own gauging of spiritual progress is to think in terms of the passage of time in accord with our own nature. All right, last point is um, St. Augustine has this very beautiful passage in this section where he talks about returning to our heart, uh, which is something that, that comes up here and there. Obviously, you know, St. Augustine speaks very viscerally. He speaks very emotionally at times, and this language of the heart is in keeping with that. But yeah, do you, do you have any thoughts or meditations on how we might return to our heart and therein find Christ? The, I mean, all of the the game, I don't know, I've used that before, but the game of of holiness, the game of Christian life, like pursuing that, practicing it, boils down often to our our desires and the question of what is our heart set on, clearing out those things that our heart ought not be set on and filling it. We've talked about filling it with, with Christ and with the good, but we have to recognize too in that, that our, that our hearts are made to be with God, to be shared with God, to share in the divine life. So I think sometimes when, especially if we're struggling or have, I don't know, difficulties with some teaching or some moral teaching or struggling with a particular sin, there can be a sort of forgetfulness that like the the law of Christ and the law of Christ that the church teaches, we might think that it's kind of an imposition on who we are as men and women. But in reality, the law of Christ, you know, and, and the law of the church, it shows us how to be truly human and what our hearts truly long for. So in turning, you know, in turning to Christ, in turning to his grace, it's it's not a foreign thing to us. You know, we're made for it. And we ought to have confidence in the fact that, you know, our hearts long to be healed, to receive the mercy of God in the same way that St. Augustine did. So the, that return to the heart, when I think about that, when I was reading Augustine's words, hearing them again, it's it's a consolation in a way that, you know, we're, I am made for this. I'm made for the good. I'm made for God. I'm made to be with him. And so are you. You know, we all are. That's That's the purpose of, of our existence. Yeah, it reminds me, just by way of conclusion, it reminds me of a story that I once heard a sister of life recount or a kind of image that she set forth in the context of a, of a conference during a retreat where she says, you know, picture that image that you've probably seen. I think it's like a 19th century pre-Raphaelite painter who has Jesus knocking at the door. And the idea is that he's knocking at the door of your heart and it's for you to admit him to your heart. She said something which I found very kind of destabilizing, but also edifying. She says, there's something true about that image, obviously, but it's more true to say that Christ is within, and that's we who are knocking at the doors of our own heart, because Christ is more interior to us than we are to ourselves, and by lives of, of sin and vice, we've become alienated from our true desires. And so when we ask for Christ, we're also asking to be readmitted to our heart of hearts, and he is obviously more than willing to do so, provided that we go you know, with him through the paces of, of healing and growing so that we can be worthy of those loves. So, yes, cheers. Wisdom from the Sisters of Life as they are wont to dispense. Okay, so that's what we have for you for this episode. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. <laughs>